You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. That aura you feel, that sense of magic coming across in the world, it's called confidence. I've got it. Thursday night football, and I feel good. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests, we got some really cool ones tonight. Join us on the show, Penzo Performance Line. You can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation, especially if you want to send us fabulous gifs about the Raiders. On the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season is heating up. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. I'm going to be drinking, but it's not going to be Dr. Pepper. And it's going to be celebratory, Sarah. I'm snowed in in Connecticut. It'd be easy to, to sit around and say, you know what? Got 18, like I'm waist high in snow, burying myself, but, like <laughs> trying to get out of it today. You think bad mood? No, because the Raiders play the Chargers tonight at 820 Eastern in a game that means everything for the playoffs for the Raiders. And I feel good. Well, I just want to clarify, you're just confident in the Raiders winning tonight, not in your general being as a, as a human or, or your status in life. Or, or are we? is it all-encompassing? Has it, has Those it all washed revolve over around you? the Raiders. Have we not all done your, that? Your we entire not? self-worth is, <laughs> I mean, is based on your confidence. That's a problem. Uh, yeah. For real, though, I'm happy for you that you're confident, and I do think you've taken a wise approach to tonight's game, which is you think they're going to win, and when they win, that'll help get them back on track after some slides. And if they lose then you know for certain that the Raiders are not for real and that the season is over and you can stop investing any hope in them. I think that's a good approach because I hate to remind you, I believe it was uh, six of their last seven that they dropped last year. Just a terrible finish. And they are on their way to that late season slide yet again. They're in the midst of one, actually. Uh, So it's pretty important that they confidently win this game uh, with the same confidence that you have in them. Well, the reality for this entire matchup, the Chargers have a bunch of players coming back healthy. There's a lot of reasons they could and should win. The Raiders have some pretty significant injuries on the defensive side of the ball. They have a new defensive coordinator in Rob Marinelli who takes over from the now-fired Paul Gunther. But the thing of it is for the Raiders, you know, realistically, they can't get after the quarterback, so they have to blitz. And if they blitz, they expose their secondary. So their defense is just bad, and it's going to be bad. But their offense at times has been very, very good. Now, the last few weeks, the offense has been pressing a little bit too much it hasn't necessarily been the right uh, the best game plan uh, each week they haven't looked as in sync as they did over the course of let's say a month ago but I also know that the components are there the talent is there and the ability is there now uh, that's the the easy part of this when you have a short week and you get a division rival a division rival that you played just a few weeks ago it makes it a little easier to come into this matchup uh, more prepared than we often would be on a Thursday night for both sides of it. So I expect a really good football game from both of these two teams, and I respect the heck out of Justin Herbert. It's just funny to me that everybody keeps talking about him like he is the second coming and all things are going to be great. And yes, he he puts up great numbers, but the Chargers still lose in that process. Well, he gets good numbers in part because they let him air it out, right? But uh, win-loss is not a quarterback stat, so... The fact that they haven't won games and they've had a lot of close games that they haven't won, um, I would need to be watching every minute of Chargers football, and I haven't. I've watched a fair amount, but to know exactly who to point fingers at for those close losses, it's it's the whole team, right? Uh, he's He's been phenomenal. He's uh, outdone expectations. And I do think because there isn't a lot of pressure to win – because the expectation for the team is not is not great, it does allow him to a little bit fly under the radar of maybe criticism that's deserved because we didn't expect him to be as great as Tua or Joe Burrow. 
And because he came right out the gates in that surprising start after Terod Taylor couldn't go, and we were like, whoa, what? What just happened, right? Um, They've lost seven one-score games since he took over. Some of that is on him. But like I said, win-losses are not quarterback stats. So I'm interested and intrigued in the people digging into this, how much they actually think he could have uh, affected those games uh, versus, you know, the fact that they need to add a lot of pieces on that Chargers team. Which I agree with entirely, by the way. I think this is going to be presuming that Anthony Lynn doesn't come back next year. Most of the people I've talked to seem to presume that. I believe this is going to be a very popular job because they have so much talent around him, at least in theory. To your point, I completely agree. Win-loss is not a quarterback stat. I think what hits me is that we become so quarterback-obsessed that once you have a good quarterback, now it's suddenly, oh, well, how are you going to beat Herbert? Well, the same way everybody else does. Like, the Chargers find unique ways to lose. We've all seen that in 2020. There's a handful of teams that just find a way to screw it up every single week. The Chargers are one of them. So while I believe that Justin Herbert is very good, and while I believe he can come out and have a very great – he can have a great game statistically, we've seen that over and over again and that doesn't mean they win so I'm not afraid of necessarily from my fan hat standpoint I'm not afraid of Justin Herbert going off because that doesn't equal wins he does that frequently Fitz I know my answer to this so I'm curious yours I think you'll answer the same as I do would you rather have a very good football team and you're looking for a quarterback or would you rather have a very good quarterback and you need to make a better team around him I'd rather have a very good team and looking for my quarterback your answer is the opposite of mine Uh, Yeah, I think you can go out and find pieces and you can succeed despite some holes. If you've got a good quarterback, I think you, you, your ceiling is so low if you don't have a good quarterback. And I, I'm sure that's coming from experience as someone who's a Chicago bears fan, who's seen excellent defenses and excellent position players occasionally wasted because the quarterback can't get it done. I, yeah. I like the position the Chargers are in because once you know from the first time this guy comes in that he's got something special, then you spend the money and you go out and get all the pieces that are easier to fill around than going and finding a good quarterback. There just aren't that many. Well, I don't disagree with the, the concept on it, and I think maybe I gave up so long ago. Before Derek Carr, I mean, I've seen two decent quarterbacks, one great quarterback and another good one in my, my lifetime as a Raiders fan. Rich Gannon was spectacular when he played for the Raiders. Other than that, Derek Carr would be the second best that I've seen. So I think for me, it's so difficult to find a quarterback. But if I can build the rest of a roster, maybe I can at least be competitive. And you're right. It's tough to be, you know, epic. But if you have the quarterback, which is so hard to find, it's easier to go get the other pieces and then feel confident you can be great. I don't think you can be great without the quarterback. As much as you think it's an overvalued position, I couldn't disagree more. And again, I know because I have spent my entire career rooting for a team that doesn't have good quarterbacks and hasn't had a good quarterback since like Sid Luckman, which is a name that I was never alive to see. But if I, but I'll take the opposite though and say that if I'm looking at it from a a roster development standpoint, if my if my GM can identify every other position, then you have the 49ers, right? Like the 49ers went out and identified an entire roster full of very good players, and then they got an okay quarterback, and they managed to get themselves to the Super Bowl. Now, they've had injuries uh, that have derailed two of the last three seasons, but the one season they put it together, they go to the Super Bowl. Like, I'll take my odds with the Bears' approach of having a great defense. The problem with mm. the Bears isn't just the isn't just the quarterback. It's that they've, they've had such putrid offense as a whole. Like, I think there's a, a probably a happy medium in my mind where you can have a really good offensive line and great wide receivers, and then all of a sudden you have an okay quarterback that looks great. I mean, uh, look at how 
how different Ryan Tannehill looks with the Titans than he did with the Dolphins, and I think that has a lot to do with the talent that's around him. So if you have a great roster, you can make a mediocre quarterback look better than he is. Uh, totally agree. Versa, though. Totally agree. And I listen, the, the best is when you can have both, obviously. Um, I just am looking at the Chargers and thinking, yeah, if I'm you and the Raiders, I feel pretty confident going into tonight. But there's always that that you know possibility that he that he stings you with a couple of big plays because he does have that great arm and he has been able to make some great plays. Uh, but overall, you've you're, you've got a better team in the Raiders, assuming that they don't continue to do what they have a tendency to do lately. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I need to have nice things. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Those are nice things. Drivers who save with Progressive save over seven hundred and fifty dollars on average. Call or click today. Find out if we could save you hundreds on your car insurance. One thing I can assure you, I can't always assure you that we will keep you perfectly updated on a Thursday night game. We will tonight. tonight. Okay, that's that's a guarantee. You uh, won't finish up any next... sentences you start though. <laughs> yeah, we just somebody keep the dump button ready because if this thing's on while I'm talking, it could get it could get bad. Uh, Next up, the, the NFL postseason picture should become a little clear, clearer, I should say, this weekend. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Bowl season's looming. Tune in tomorrow night for the Pac-12 championship game presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Sarah... You know, it's funny because we came into this season with a lot of change in the NFL. And some of that change happening now, some may happen as early as next year. We still don't know if they're going to add a 17th game, whether that'll be next year. They'll figure that out later. But one thing that happened now was an expansion of the playoffs by one team. So they moved everything from six teams per conference to seven teams per conference. As a result of that change, only the first overall seed in each conference gets a bye. And, you know, we talked about it in the moment, why it could be significant. Now it looks like a massive home run for the NFL because as we go into week 15, and it's crazy to think that we're already this deep into the playoffs, but into week 15, nothing is secure in either conference and everything matters, not just for the bottom of the playoffs, but also for the top of the playoffs where you've got teams fighting to try and get the only bye that exists. Yeah, there's a lot of scenarios on the line this weekend specifically. Not a lot of good games. Uh, looking at the matchups, there's not a ton of good games. But eight teams can either clinch a playoff berth or a divisional title. And you mentioned uh, the the Chiefs and Saints have already clinched spots in the postseason. But Kansas City right now is atop the AFC West. They want that first-round bye. And then in addition to those two teams uh, fighting it out for an important spot, the Bills, Steelers, Titans, Seahawks, Rams, and Bucks can all clinch a playoff berth. And the thing that's most interesting to me beyond those teams is who can't clinch, and that's the Browns. <laughs> so even if the Browns win this weekend, they still do not have a spot in the postseason, which is wild considering First of all, how high we are on that team talent-wise lately and the wins that they've been getting lately, but also what an incredible turnaround it is for a team that was scraping to get a win in recent years and is now 9-4 and four and could get to a 10-win uh, season without being certain of, of a spot. Yeah, that's one of the things, you know, we flippantly said, I said a few weeks ago, you know, a team in the AFC, in my opinion, was going to get to 10 wins and not make the playoffs, which you thought it was I, the Raiders, though. No, no well, no, I, I thought it would be the Browns. <laughs> at the very end of the segment, I said, this is all funny, unless it's the Raiders, in which case it's not funny at all. Now that's a very <laughs> real scenario, because the Raiders play tonight, obviously, against the Chargers, then they play the Dolphins, then they finish up against the Broncos. They, they could get to 10 wins. 
and not even make the playoffs, which mm-hmm. also is interesting because one of the things that came with the expansion of the playoffs was this whole conversation of, oh, my God, if you open it up to seven teams, you're going to have a really bad team in the playoffs. Now it looks like the only bad team is the play- in the playoffs is a team that would have been in no matter what the situation is if the Washington football team ends up winning their division. Obviously, it's 6-7. and seven, That's not what anybody wants. But when it comes to playoff expansion, Right now, the seven seed in the AFC is the Dolphins at eight and five, and they're a darn good football team. And then the Cardinals at seven and six in the NFC, who at times have looked very good themselves. So it's it's sort of a win all around, and crazy that it's gotten this dramatic. Yeah, that that was the biggest thing back um, in I want to say February, March of this year when they officially decided to to confirm this. People trotted out previous year's schedules to try to figure out. Uh, whether this would possibly be a good thing and would improve the quality of games or would offer up uh, some duds. And Fitz, I think you're right about the lower levels of the the playoff teams being exciting teams that you think have a shot. I do wonder about the possibility of no buys. If you only have one team with a buy, there is a chance for a bad game or an injury or COVID-related incident to bounce a team and have it not be a team that you'd want to see go in favor of a lower level. But in football, more than any other sport, I think most of the time, the better team wins the game. It's not as you know, uh, random, I would argue, as something like baseball, where it's so much dependent on the pitcher or something like that. So y- you have to kind of poop the bed if you're a number one or, I guess, number two seed. Uh, you don't get that buy you were looking for, and then you get bounced right off the bat. Well, I would think that the Saints, you know, as long as let's presume that the Saints end up into the playoffs uh, with the with Drew Brees. I don't think the Saints necessarily with Drew Brees are going to be sitting up at night thinking, oh, my God, how will we ever beat the Cardinals? On the other side of it, though, the Steelers now sit in the second seat. They're 11 and two. They've lost two straight games. They haven't looked particularly good doing it. Now, I think they'll get back on the on the right track against the Bengals. Sure. But if the playoffs started today, they'd have to take on the Dolphins, who were not an easy out. So I, I, I do look at that thinking, man, that's actually really – that's a difficult scenario for Pittsburgh to not only not get the bye, but then find out that in week one they're going to have to take on one of the better defenses remaining uh, with the Dolphins. Even if they were taking on the Colts, I still argue that those are two teams that are playing incredibly well right now. There's one other important thing that we've not mentioned, which is how this affects my favorite day of the year. One of my favorite days of the year, which is the playoffs plus Golden Globes, <laughs> which uh, thankfully really dodged a bullet this year, Fitz. I know that you were thinking about this this whole time. They're not happening till the end of February this year, Ooh. the 2021 Golden Globes. Usually they're right in the beginning of January, and they're usually on the same day as the wild card games. So I watch football all day long. I get a disgusting amount of usually some sort of Thai or Chinese takeout, and I don't leave my couch, and I watch football all day right up until the awards, and then I DVR the red carpet and watch the next day. Don't have to worry about that, because that was my concern when I heard three games on January 9th and three games on January 10th because of the new full wildcard weekend schedule having six games. I, you know, I'm I'm a little shook when I think about Thai and Chinese. I know we've talked a little bit about this before, but they're very different. Like I associate Thai with being very nice, and Chinese with being very greasy. Like, and and believe me, well, you're not getting fa- good Chinese food. Though. No, no, no. I prefer I prefer Chinese over Thai, and I prefer oh, bad wait, Chinese. Wait, 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 wait. The the one that's greasy you like more than the one that's nice. Yeah, 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 for sure. 
Like I want, I want <laughs> the, so like, gross. the Chinese food you. that comes in like a styrofoam container where no! you, you know it's like 18 pounds it's like of lo mein. all MSG. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. No, like, no. It, first it, of all, I prefer Thai food probably for the exact reasons that you're stating because I like fresh, delicious vegetables and right. you could get a great Penang curry, which is my favorite, a delicious sort of cashew vegetable. Um, I love a, a vegetable fried rice. Um, Chinese food is tougher to get good because of your point which is that can be super greasy and gross yeah well no that's what makes chinese food easier (laughs) to get you know i was actually texting with a buddy recently and uh he was like oh where should i get chinese food from and i was like yeah it's easy you go to yelp and you look at any any review on yelp that has pictures and if it looks like too much food for one person (laughs) and it's all a weird color of brown that's exactly what you're shooting for like you probably enjoy the kind where they don't actually say what kind of meat it is because you don't care Oh, yeah. No, a thousand. <laughs> but you're totally right. Like, when I think of Thai food, I think of, of great fresh vegetables and, yeah. like, really fresh yeah, flavors. Delicious. And when I think of Chinese mm-hmm. food, I think, my God, you know, it's <laughs> if I've been partying all day, I want that oil. whole thing of Chinese food. I mean, that, I'm, 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 it's nothing if not on brand. Uh, there are some clinching possibilities, by the way, uh, this weekend for the Bills. And that's one thing that I think we should at least keep a side eye on. The Bills, in all of this conversation about who's going to be the number one seed, the Bills have an opportunity to clinch a playoff berth if they win or Miami loses or they both tie. That's a pretty spectacular thing for a team that's 10-3 and and looks like, you know, with with the game uh, against Denver, they're going to get to 11-3 and at least in theory, clinch a division title. I mean, that that's... It shows you how far they've come. And by the way, I'd be far more worried about the Bills in the playoffs than I would the Steelers. Oh, absolutely. I, I like this Bills team better. I think that they are much less one-dimensional, and they've got a more dynamic quarterback at this point. Ben Roethlisberger's statistics, especially in yards per completion, yards per attempt, are real low. They are not going to beat you with those big balls. And, wow, well, phrasing. Josh Allen can. Somebody cut um, that off. Somebody please yeah. cut that. Just <laughs> Uh, I agree with you, though, and I think it's pretty exciting for the Bills. And it's exactly what we kind of all hoped for with the changes at New England is the opportunity to see someone else take over. Yeah, and for all the conversation we've had about what's going on in the NFL this year, they nailed this one. Coming up next, we'll get to some Major League Baseball news that did not sit well at all with our next guest. Who? You'll find out next. ESPN Radio at Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. When you first hear the announcement, MLB is elevating the status of Negro Leagues alongside in the history books, the stats and records and history of Major League Baseball. It sounds like a positive, but Clinton Yates, one of our ESPN colleagues, went off on Twitter and then wrote a story for the undefeated about how there's more to this than what seems to meet the eye at first. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, Joining us now to give us some straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. It is the aforementioned Clinton Yates, uh, who I occasionally compete against on Around the Horn. And, of course, you can read his stuff on The Undefeated. Clinton, let's just start with the obvious. When you hear this news and when we see that um, the great head of the Negro Leagues Museum, Bob Kendrick, uh, releases a statement saying this is a positive, why to you does it not hit you as a positive right off the bat? So when I first read this, it was a day... You know, I live in Los Angeles, so a lot of times when I wake up, a lot of commentary and things will have happened based on stuff that, you know, I I hadn't seen yet. And so for this one, it was particularly different because I had a lot of texts and a lot of tweets about an MLB press release, which is not normal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, and I was like, okay, people seem really excited. And I looked at it and I said, does that say elevate? Like, I, I, I'm sorry, what? Like, what? 
operational point are you starting from where some sort of concept of the Negro Leagues being less than is like even a thing? And I, I was genuinely kind of shocked at that word usage. And, you know, I get into it in the column about how we don't need to start acting as if, like, just because some of the things in the record books are caught up, that that means that Major League Baseball needs to start patting themselves on the back for finally deciding that they're going to view people as whole. Like, that, again, is the problem, not the solution. And I, I don't know. It was just one of those things where I was like, why would I ever call the Negro Leagues the Major Leagues? That doesn't even make sense to me. And it started from there. I ended up writing about it. And I'm still... It was actually kind of a, it was, there was a pain, you know, cause I was just like, yo, this is such a miss that like, I don't even really know what else to say about it other than nah, not really doing it like this. Really quickly. Is the miss the language? Because I think it's you... the entire concept of noting that like major league baseball has a real problem with this, which is in terms of whitewashing back histories of what they've done wrong and trying to congratulate themselves for how things have gone going forward. They missed the whole point of why it was problematic in the interim to begin with. And that's a large history of what baseball does. Never mind what happens with the hall of fame. And so this was just another example of like, yeah, that word is offensively inappropriate, like flatly. And the fact that they didn't even understand that was very odd. I mean, you talk to people, you know, around the game and for cats are like, yeah, bro. That's just not it. You know, there's no other way to say that. If you don't got enough black folks in the room to tell you that, that's what happens. And this was an example of that. So, Clinton, how should it have been handled? I mean, I think it needed to be handled by anything. I mean, if you make an announcement, sure, you say, I don't know, recognize, dare I say, apologize. God forbid you use the word atone for anything that might have gone wrong. Never mind the things you could have done as well. I mean, look, if you really want to do something to help families out, of, there's plenty of families alive that had family members that played in the Negro Leagues, you know? You can throw some shekels their way as well, too, if you really want to make some difference in what the actual importance is. Bob Kendrick shouldn't have to be worried about paying bills at his place. I understand that Major League Baseball gave him a gift this year, an extremely large gift, but like overall, it's one of those things where I know what I see when Major League Baseball is respecting something and when they're not. And in this situation, it just feels very condescending, and I think in a lot of ways it is because this should have never been an issue to begin with. So when you finally write it to say, oh, look at us, how great we are, that's just not that's not how that works. Clinton Yates of The Undefeated and Around the Horn, amongst other things, here on ESPN with us here on Spain & Fitz. I agree with you about Elevate. I agree with you about the ways that black players who at no time were ever less than were prevented from playing. And then when there was integration, it actually hurt the Negro Leagues. I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. I guess at some point, though, if you realize what you did was wrong, and if you realize that there are players from the Negro Leagues that should be in the Hall of Fame and their statistics and achievements should be lined up alongside everybody else that played at that time um, and held up as equally as legitimate, then this is a positive. There's parts of this that are good. And to me, it sounds like you would rather that they'd done nothing. But I think that perpetuates a problem no, that affects Bob I Kendrick. And- I didn't say I'd rather they'd done nothing. I'm just saying if you're going to do something like that, you have to understand and appreciate the largeness of what you've deleted beyond just the numbers to compare player to player what these daggone stats are. That's what I'm saying. Deleting the culture of the Negro Leagues from the collective understanding of what baseball fans know and feel and care about, that is the problem. And so if you're going to jump all into this stuff as if by adding up uh, you know, somebody's numbers against another that you've kind of equated something to – what it should have been, that's a that's what I'm saying. Like people are smarter than that, you know, and that's kind of what this is about. Like I said, you don't gotta know a ton about the Negro Leagues to know 
The competition in the Negro Leagues is daggone good, and overall the culture of the game is what changed baseball as much as anything. You know, night games, women playing, there's all sorts of different stuff, mascots, you know. There's all sorts of different things that people don't even realize started in the Negro Leagues that have to fundamentally do with how we operate baseball now. Matching up records is not that. And so I just feel like, you know, it, it just... It was the wrong way to try to start something in terms of the verbiage, and the verbiage matters. If it didn't matter, it wouldn't be baseball because they're the ones who are always so caught up in that crap to begin with. You know. So, Clinton, we're talking to Clinton Yates on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let me take this from a non-baseball uh, fanatics sort of yeah. mindset, right? Because I'll be the first to admit that I don't know a lot about the Negro Leagues. I, I, it's just it's mm-hmm. a whole. I don't know much about it. So if the goal is to make sure that – as new fans come in or as fans grow into the game, they get to know the significance of how the league worked and what the league meant to Major League Baseball. How can Major League Baseball accomplish that without sort of the process that they're going through? Give Bob Kemdrick every single dollar he asks for and let him do what he wants. The guy is the most charismatic and smartest person in baseball as far as I'm concerned and the history that he has been building, that he has been highlighting that he has been preserving keeping the recipes as we like to say on the internet i trust him and i trust the people around who have been trying to do this work to get the recognition for all this time it's not like you know this is out of nowhere that people know you know what's going on in terms of these efforts and so again i I just don't understand the self-congratulatory nature of it and there were a couple of really weird phrases in there where i don't know thorn i think it was the head historian said it's really satisfying to be able to do this it's like yo you guys don't even understand how condescending this but they also said they also said it's mlb's view that the committee's 1969 omission of the negro leagues from consideration was clearly an error that demands today's uh designation Again, Correcting a long-time oversight in the game's history. I mean, that language to me sounds like, I mean, they that surely could have done more. That language to me sounds more, like but, what you sound like when you're in court apologizing for something you did wrong, as opposed to just telling But they're friend, not in no, court. So- they're not being asked to do this, right? So this is offered up without being forced. As opposed to just telling your friend, yo, I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? And this is how we fix it. This is not, this, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's my point is that. I mean, frankly, just as a black person listening to that, that sounds like somebody who wants to say, well, this was wrong, but it wasn't my fault, you know, and that's just weird. Like, there's no other way for me to say that. And it's unfortunate because I think that, again, the focus here to me is on what actually happened, you know, and I think that that is what Major League Baseball is afraid to talk about. It's like, yo, you were actively shutting people out of your league, you know, and when you decided you wanted to steal from the league, then you killed the other leagues. So don't right. turn around and be like, oh, guess what? Now you're here. It's all good. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, right. you know, just it's, you can be more real on the whole and that people aren't going to, you know, throw you under the bus, man. People like the sport. It's not just about the league. It's a it's 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 basically a microcosm for our entire country right it's it's <laughs> yeah. doing the littlest bit now because you don't want to have to Bingo. actually admit to the full uh, fraudulence of whatever what our country Bingo. is essentially allegedly based upon you know when you actually compare that to the history of our country uh which is the same for baseball and and i think you're right about that i just i wonder um how you extract yourself from a situation a century plus in the making yeah, without the steps like this um so uh, it's an interesting conversation. Excellent story. People can go read it on The Undefeated. Uh, Clinton Yates on the Shell Pencil Performance Line. Thanks so much for the time, Clinton. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, I'll see you on TV tomorrow, Sarah. I will see you tomorrow. <laughs> Get your game face ready. <laughs> <laughs> this is Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up next, Christmas gifts, but not for you, for your sports teams. You got anything you want to re-gift lately? Because I sure do. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's right. You better have your 
Christmas, holiday, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate gifts ready soon. We are basically a week away, which is wild. It really is. Time is a flat circle. Uh, But 2020 (laughs) is almost over, and you better have those holiday gifts ready to go. Don't just do gift cards, people. So it's so impersonal. Like occasionally, I get it, but just you know, you can't just buy everyone in your is family. Is this a year gift that's card. acceptable though? Like you can't go out and really like pick and touch. Yeah, you and can. Shop you can still. Yeah, you can absolutely still put some heart and some thought, some experiences, some things that are special to people. There's absolutely a time and a place for gift cards, and there's people that should be getting gift cards from you. But uh, your very close family and friends, you should be a little more creative than that, in my opinion. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. And while we're on the topic of Christmas and giving, uh, we, we have two important questions for you guys that we need you to answer for us. And you can hit us up on Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. And we want to know, name. that is your name. I sometimes like pause for a second to see because I try to remember if you're one of those that has like a letter in the middle or an underscore or like a dash. But you're just straight old Jason Fitz. Um, Christmas gift that you'd want for your favorite team? Or a quote-unquote gift that your team got this year that you'd like to return or exchange. Uh, For instance, I feel pretty good about the gift that my Bulls got in a new front office, a new head coach. Like, it's making me consider actually watching that dumpster fire of a team instead of continuing to tell anyone to listen that they should be relegated and that they should introduce relegation to the NBA the same way they do in European soccer, and they should be a part of the G League until they prove themselves. I'm giving them a shot. So that's... A gift I appreciate. What we want is the opposite. Did your team acquire someone in a trade? A new coach? Maybe you're the Cowboys and you'd like to give back Mike McCarthy. Uh, So is there something in in a gift that you would like for your team? And is there something that you would like to give back that maybe someone at some point thought was a gift and it just didn't work out? Uh, You got any of those fits? Yeah, I mean, I've got one of each for the Raiders. I mean, that's a pretty easy one. A gift I'd like for my team is Khalil Mack. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Hold there. on, like, hold on, hold on. I've got some problems with that. I can't just take from somebody else's. It's not like Dirty <laughs> Santa. Like, I thought that's no, what we were doing here. No. Like, you unwrapped, you unwrapped Khalil Mack. I walked over and said, Great, you. we'll I take Derek Carr. Uh, yeah, I, that's fair. <laughs> I'll do that all day. No, I, I mean, a pass rusher is the ultimate gift for the Raiders. And in a gift that it get back, to give back, Corey Littleton was supposed to be a huge signing for the Raiders this year. A linebacker they put a lot of money into, and he's just been invisible, invisible to say the least. So, uh, you know, I would give back the money that was spent on Corey Littleton. And instead, now he's one of many, by the way. I, I have a whole laundry list of bad free agent <laughs> signings this season. But I'll take Corey Littleton as the gift to give back politely. And uh, if you would like to, to go ahead and hand me Khalil Mack, I'll take it. That'd be perfect. Thank you. Um, well, I, you know, I almost want to do that because I feel bad for Khalil Mack that uh, he just spends the entire game getting tr- double and triple teamed and then uh, unfortunately has uh, the offense squad lay an egg, sending him right back onto the field for the double and triple teams with no payoff uh, in the form of wins. Uh, but I, I'm so sorry. I can't do that. I do not have the authorization to give you that. I am. I'm so sorry. Um, I would like to give back. Uh, well, I, I'd like to give back Mitch Trubisky, but that's several years old now. And I think it's bad form to give back a gift several years later. I think if you're going to return or exchange, there's probably a certain uh, a number of days within which you're allowed to do so. So I'd like to give back Nick Foles because he's not any better. And we would have been better off with just a regular old backup in there. And Mitch, it's not that I think either one has established himself as the sure thing, but there's no point in having two non-starters on your team, especially one that you still owe 
for another year. And the decision has been made because of Foles being under contract, I think, where either they're lunatics with the Bears and they bring Mitch back because he looks good down the stretch. And then we end up next year with the same exact situation, which no one wants, which is Foles and Trubisky as your quarterback duo, which no one wants a duo in the first place, but that's what it would be. Or we let Mitch go because the Bears don't have any contractual obligations to him and you stick with Foles and hopefully go out and try to find a real starter. Uh, So I I guess I'd like to give back Foles, but at this point it feels like I'm stuck with him. That's a really good call, though. Like When I think across the the board of NFL teams and what they want to give back, like I would imagine Texans fans want to give back, I mean, if they could, just – the entire era of Bill O'Brien, the GM, right, but the specifically Hopkins DeAndre Hopkins trade. Mm-hmm. Like, that's got to be the one that you you just sit there and say, what in the hell were we thinking? I mean, that that's that feels like that one would sit uh, sit difficult. And, I, and then, I mean, there's a ton of draft picks on this uh, selection. Like, if you're a Washington football team fan at this point, do you wish you could give back uh, Dwayne Haskins? I mean, he's had such a limited time to prove anything, but I feel like Haskins would be on the give back list as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. If I look at baseball, um, it's a little late. I'd like to give back some of the ownership of the Cubs. Is that allowed? But (laughs) mainly just the ones that are working in uh, the current administration and uh, taking out massive groups of fans for the Cubs with giant swipes in uh, newspaper articles. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I would like to get back Theo Epstein. Uh, because that is not a gift I wanted to return. And I understand that he wanted to build a dynasty and move on somewhere else. I understand that he has a certain internal clock that he uh, that he feels, you know, he's going to he's going to stay in one place, accomplish some things and move on. But it's very difficult, Fitz, in sports to have a front office that you truly believe in and have them leave because there's so few instances of that for me with the Bears. I don't with the Bulls. I don't Although I'm hesitant and hopeful about this new look. Um, and with the Cubs, I had it with the Blackhawks. It's, it's a little up in the air right now because I I need to give them the credit on putting together three championship teams in like eight years. I can't exactly turn on them now. They prove themselves, but yeah, that's a tough one for me is, is actually losing a gift that you were given that you wanted to keep. Well, and you're so right that when you have front office, you know, I've said this a few times with the Cowboys, like, what do you do as a fan if you realize that the person that ultimately writes the checks no longer has any idea what they're doing? And they're just not good at hiring. That's the most helpless feeling you can have. When your front office is incompetent, that means that you're going to have likely, unless they get lucky, they're going to draft poorly and they're going to hire the wrong people to run the talent that they do draft. So uh, it's funny how 20 years ago GM was such a small conversation for sports, sports fans and now it's it's a little bit of everything. In the baseball world, do you think the, the Red Sox want to give back letting Mookie Betts walk? I mean, he what he uh, did was so incredible. I would like to think so, but you know, based on all the conversations that we had around that decision-making, it felt like they just financially were not willing to and didn't believe it was worth spending as much as he was going to get. Um, and if you've won as much as they have lately versus the Dodgers, who needed to get themselves over the top after getting so close – um, I, I would want him back if I were them. Absolutely, I would continue to build a team around him. But I don't know if even after seeing what we saw, they would admit that. They might still point to the financial reasons that they made that decision. In the NHL, I feel like players would give the entire bubble back. It felt oh, like yeah. players they were not didn't into like it. anything about that. They were not into it. Uh, I don't know if the Lightning would, though, because Tampa Bay's pretty excited yeah. about getting that cup. <laughs> um, point. It, when it comes to my Chicago Red Stars, my NWSL team, I would like to get Yuki Nagasato back, who left, and I would like to get Sam Kerr back, who left. They both went to go play 
uh, across the pond in other places, uh, Australia and Japan. And um, that's another thing. When you have those players that you love and just the contracts and the timing doesn't work out or they have a better deal elsewhere, and that's always going to happen, especially in leagues like the WNBA or the NWSL where there's really prominent uh, European or foreign leagues as well that draw that talent away from you. Um, we saw that happen a number of different times at WNBA level too with great players like Liz Cambage. So uh, I would like I would like Sam Kerr back at the very least just for the backflips after she scores. Like that's a very that's a tough commodity out in the world. You can't find only so many people who could do that. I wonder if we injected truth serum into all of the college football commissioners, how much they'd want to give back from the entire like uh, the the decision making process around when and how to play college football. I just. I wonder not like this is always going to be one of those things that depending on the success for every conference will will unfortunately be the metric of success. But I just wonder if you're the Big Ten, do you go back and regret, you know, not do you want to give back the decision not to play initially or do you want to give back the decision to play at all? Like there's so many different variables on that, depending on what happens and whether or not Ohio State can actually win it. That's a great point, because uh, I do think that. There now that you look back, it was such a mess for everyone that the Big Ten would probably say they wish they just started on time, but I don't think they were in the wrong in the decision making that they made. I think they, I, I think they may have been wrong in getting pressured into playing based on what we still don't know about the virus and how it affects people. Like we're, we've been so conditioned at this point to just talk about the sports because it wouldn't be an interesting listen to spend two hours every night talking about how we probably shouldn't be playing them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You think, no, but you're absolutely right. Like, I don't think we'll really be able to know what they wish they could take back or give back from these presidents for, a while. Uh, for several years. And that's yeah. an unfortunate reality for everybody. You know, it, possibly unfortunate reality. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Shell V Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hit us up. Tell us who you want to give back or what you want to get your team. Coming up, NFL Week 15 starts tonight. We're going to add another <laughs> Raiders fan into the conversation. See how he's feeling tonight. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. There's a portly man in a pink Cadillac driving across my TV screen, and that can only mean that there's a game involving the Raiders. It's like a constant thing. Anytime there's a game in Vegas, somehow Fat Elvis turns up, and that means we got football to break down. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast where you get exclusive content sometimes that you'll never get here, uh, and we get a little bit uh, off the rails, so always a good time there. We're presented by Progressive (laughs) Insurance, and of course, our guest join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Sarah Let's bring in a third person to this party. Since I know I've already given you all the Raiders talk you could ever possibly want, <laughs> let's bring in one Randolph Scott. Randy Scott, uh, Sports Center host extraordinaire, uh, beloved Raiders uh, fellow fan. And Randy, you know what? I wasn't sure. I mean, I texted you, asked if you were going to come on. I wasn't sure if you were going to be willing this close to kickoff to, uh, to sacrifice a little <laughs> of your pregame ritual to talk to us. How do you feel about tonight's game? I'm terrified. I have a I have a, oh. a personal bet. It's good. To, first of all, it's good to be on with you guys. Um, I envy Sarah in not having anything to really stress over at this point of the football season. Like I'm, hey, I'm used. First to of that, all, we're only like, one game behind you guys, so let's not act like you guys are in a great position. We are right around the same spot. Did I not say envious, Sarah? I'm not. That was, that was no shade. Like I just, it's stressful right now. So my my brother in law. Um, is a Chargers fan, uh, long suffering from like San Diego, and followed him to L.A. And you know the fact that Herbert's there is is helping him get over that sort of city breakup. And he's he has a baby due uh, on the way in January. So our bet is, and I have a three year old. Our bet is 
he gets a Herbert jersey for my youngest if the Chargers win, and I get to outfit my new nephew in Raiders like onesie gear uh, if the Raiders win. So like this is going to be a non-monetary, but also like very, you know, uh, painful news if the Raiders do lose. Is there so, a very confident like, Yeah, can, Vince is very confident it, tonight. I'm surprised that you are so afraid. Is it merely the bet, or are you not actually confident in your team against the Chargers? I'm not. I'm not confident in the. I'm not confident in the, in the team, and that is fueling the consternation over that. Because, like, honestly, this defense. I mean, Fitz, come on, man. This defense wasn't good with the people that it is now down. You know what I mean? Like. You fire Gunther, and like that's that's great. That's all well and good, but that Titanic's still hitting the iceberg, regardless of who's at the <laughs> wheel. And now we're down. Now the Raiders are down four star, four starters off a unit that wasn't great. It was extremely generous when you know it was at full strength. So that's that's a little that's a little terrifying for me. But see, that's why I'm not terrified because when you lose four starters <laughs> on a bad defense, you've just got a bad defense. Like okay, we know it's going to be a bad defense anyway. This game. All comes down to the Raiders' ability, and you know it's funny when you go back and, and you look at their first matchup, Randy. Uh, you know it's mm-hmm. not that Derek Carr's numbers were spectacular, but they were incredibly efficient as an offense. They didn't waste a lot of drives. They scored. They scored when they needed to, and that's really when this de- sure. when this offense is at its strongest. Is when they put together seven eight minute drives that bore you to death, and they score a touchdown on every <laughs> one of them. I think that their offense can do that against this Chargers team. That's why I am not even quietly. I am loudly confident, my friend. That always works well for you. Yeah, doesn't it though? I was going to say, what's the track record of loud fit? <laughs> like, what's the what are the metrics on that? Where do we where do we get some info on probably, it? Like, I wanna, yeah, I probably know. right around the win percentage of the Raiders in their last seven games last year. Hey, and that's wait a what minute, I want to ask you about Randy, Sarah. I picked I picked the Colts to win last week. I was you confident did, on that. You did, all right, you were confident. I've, I've gotten one game wrong in this stretch of, of bad games, and that was the, Fal- the the Falcons game. The rest of them, I'm right on. So I'm feeling good. They almost lost to yeah, the Jets. The higher, Randy, yeah, why do you think yeah. that they struggle down the stretch in seasons? Is it just a matter of matchups? Is it injuries? Is it coaching and not adjusting? Is it other teams adjusting to them? Uh, man, I, it could be all the above. Is that is that an <laughs> option? I think I think John Gruden. I think John Gruden is a, is a good coach. And I've heard from people who are greater and smarter football minds than I'll, than I'll ever be. Who I've texted with this year and sort of abused some of that like work relationship and like no Gruden's got this. Like this is he's he is innovating. I was worried that he was gonna be antiquated when he came in. I was worried that it was, you know, trying to trying to put a <laughs> trying to put a dinosaur in an ice age and, and he was just out of his element and we have a big enough sample size that he's his offensive schemes are working. I don't know that he trusts the right people on his and I, and I think maybe Paul Gunther is an example. So it's kind of like like fits like as your as your voice gets higher, I lose more confidence. So I, huh. I need you to I need you to, to you know when we were like you sound like the guy from I love you man. You sound like the the LA, the LA Galaxy fan that Jason's or Paul Rudd that goes on like a mandate with when he's like. <laughs> You're making me nervous. You're you're concerning me. With that um, I think I, I think it's I think it's a combination of the schedule. Listen, I think it's a combination of like Gruden takes over in Oakland slash Vegas as Patrick Mahomes comes in to the career and you're you know, comes into the division and you are going to have a date with him in December. Uh, invariably this year because of 2020, we, it's not we're going to miss each other. That's fine. You still get Denver. You still get cold 
weather games in Denver. And, you know, that, 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 there are just divisional matchups in this month of the season. And I think, it, I, I don't know, I, I would blame schedule as much as I would, like, a stubbornness with scheme as opposed to a stubbornness with, like, Gruden's offensive, like, playbook. Does that make sense? Randy, it makes tremendous sense. That's the lowest I can go. That's the lowest I can go. Man, we appreciate your time before the game. Enjoy the game tonight. I will text you when we're up by three touchdowns. I'm feeling good today. I'm feeling good. Look at all this off. This could go very poorly for you. I want to wake up to that text, Fitz. I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, you can check out Randy Scott tomorrow morning on SportsCenter. We appreciate him joining us. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, and Sarah. The game uh, kickoff only minutes away, but that's not the only big game going on over the course of this weekend. A lot of eyes are going to be on this Chiefs-Saints game, which, let's be hyperbolic and overblown, is a Super Bowl preview. But you know what? It might actually (laughs) be. like There's a fine line between just blowing everything up or acknowledging. like The Chiefs and the Saints, to me, are still the class of each of their respective conferences, and it feels like this could be a Super Bowl preview. I agree with you. It's also been a, a, a little bit since we've seen the Saints at full strength, and so it's tough to read what they come back with and how, uh, what percentage of Breeze when he's back. Um, all of those things matter. Um, and the conversation around ESPN today had so many differing opinions about how they should be handling that quarterback position. Here's actually what Greeny said on Mike, uh, Mike Greenberg said on Greeny today. I'm telling you right now, bet that Breeze is the starter. I think Breeze goes this weekend in the dream matchup against Patrick Mahomes. <clears throat> we'll wait and see what Sean decides to do. But if the doctors clear him, he is coming off the list. I think you will see Drew Brees this weekend in one of the monster games, assuming he does play. That now becomes one of the monster games of the entire NFL schedule. Okay, so two things. One, that's my biggest fear as a solo host is you get something in your throat and he handles it quite well and powered through. But secondly, he's certain that they're willing to risk a guy who had 11 broken ribs for this game to see what it looks like up against the the best of the league. And almost everybody else is saying, no, nah, don't do that, but do start Jameis Winston instead of Taysom because you're not going to win without a dynamic enough passing offense. What do That's you think? what I mean, the interesting thing to me is that unless Breeze is as close to 100% as you think he's going to get for the rest of the year, I don't put him anywhere near the field. And the problem is if you put him out now – maybe you have a shot at the one-week buy. And like we said earlier, only one team gets that. So you want to try and get that buy. Conversely, if you put them out there and anything goes wrong, you put yourself in a worse spot for the playoffs. You didn't get the buy, and now you've got a more dinged-up breeze. So if the only concern is the Super Bowl, which is what it should be for, for the Saints, I don't see any reason I put them back out on the field, Sarah. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you win this particular game and then lose Breeze and then don't have him for the more important game, which is if you were to meet them again in the playoffs. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's home quote explorer. Quoting by all online at Progressive.com. Coming up, Sarah just mentioned that some analysts think that Jameis Winston should play this weekend. You'll hear which ones next when we have some fun. Do some quickies. Sarah Spain, (laughs) Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Always great stuff there that you can't uh, you can't always hear everything on the radio. Some of it's exclusive just to the podcast, so be sure to get out there wherever you get your podcast. Check it out. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests, including Randy Scott that we just talked to, join us on the show, Penzo Performance Line, 
every once in a while, it just happens that there are so many fun things going on around the world of sports that we decide that, you know, we've got too much to get into and we need to do it our own unique way with some quickies. We get in and out of topics fast. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. All right, Sarah. So this is what we do. We're going to go through a couple of topics quickly, and we'll start with one we were just talking about. This is what Damian Woody, ESPN NFL analyst, said on the Max Kellerman show about whether or not he would start Drew Brees this weekend for the epic matchup between the Saints and Chiefs. Coming off of whatever, like 11 broken ribs and a, and a punctured lung or something like that, you can't risk that. But I will say, I think they do need to start Jameis, though, because scoring comes via the passing game. You know, it's not one of them days where three yards a cloud of dust on the ground running. You got to score via the, via the passing game. And you, there's no way you can game manage your way into beating the Kansas City Chiefs. You just can't, you can't do it. I know he gives you, you know, potential to throw pick sixes and all those type of things, but he's a much more accomplished passer uh, than the other guy. So come on now. Taysom Hill being the other guy. Uh, you know what, Fitz? Normally I wouldn't argue for basically matchup ball in football. Uh, normally I would say you put out the quarterback that you've put your faith in, and if you, for whatever reason, have felt like Taysom Hill was the better, better option this whole time, it's worked out fairly well. Obviously didn't last week against the Eagles, but they've gotten a couple W's with him. But in this case, I agree, because you are not going to beat the Saints unless you put up numbers. They have too many weapons that are unstoppable. It is inevitable you will give up a certain number of points to them. And so you might as well give yourself a shot by taking a risk. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And and the funny thing is that Sean Payton has left himself some wiggle room. Every time he's been asked about the future of the quarterback position, he stresses, we think we have our next quarterback in the building, and that could be Taysom, that could be Mm -hmm. Jameis. So I think what he's done is he's left just a little bit of wiggle room here for him to say, hey, for this particular matchup, we think Jameis is ready to go, and what we we love and believe in both quarterbacks. So we're going to let each of them guide us whenever we think it's the best for us. I can totally see Sean Payton doing that, and whereas most coaches would then be destroyed for being wishy-washy on their quarterback because he's such a great coach with such a great reputation, it will simply be looked at as he's smarter than all the rest of us and he's got it figured out. So uh, It is we'll worth see noting how- that the Go Kansas ahead. City run defense is not great. It's, it's bottom of the league. I think they're 25th or 26th in the league uh, in opponent rushing yards per game. So as far as defensively, they are not well set up to face a team that's been effective using their running backs and Taysom Hill in the run game. Uh, so that would be an argument I could see giving Sean Payton if he does end up electing to go with Taysom Hill. Um, but I think you kind of go big or go home in this one and see what Winston can throw at him, which is probably a number of touchdowns and a number of picks. Well, yeah, fair point. Although Brady's picks have been up this year, too. Maybe it's the Bucks. Mm-hmm. maybe? It uh, might be Arians. And I do believe either way we'll see a lot of Taysom Hill in this game, even if he's not the starter in the traditional sense. All right, let's go next to a little bit of thoughts on James Harden. And obviously Harden is the constant conversation right now, uh, as it's been reported today by Woj, uh, tonight by Woj, that more teams are feeling comfortable having the conversation with the Rockets. It feels like they're getting closer to having real talks about what it would take to get James Harden to another destination. And it leads to at least some interesting thought process on Harden and how we got here. This is what Kendrick Perkins had to say on the jump. Perk, we know superstars in this league granted a certain amount of leeway, Mm -hmm. but how much is too much for an organization to allow? Well, here's the thing, Rachel, is that James Harden is grown. Last time I checked, he's a grown man. So 
just because they gave him, you know, those type of superstar privileges, that don't mean it was the Rockets' fault. This is done all around the league where superstars get privileges. It's James' fault that he abuses the privileges and goes above and beyond. What was the Rockets supposed to do? Find him, suspend him? He's the he's the he's the guy that's in, been leading the, the league and scoring for the last three years. I actually love this take, Fitz, and I'm I'm sorry to say, I didn't even think about it when I you know I, I disagree with the way Harden's handled himself. But I did think, and I heard so many people saying, you know, this is the Rockets' fault. What do you expect? And his point is 100% correct. I expect him to be someone who cares about being great. I expect him to want to show up for his team on time. I expect him to want to practice hard, play hard, win games, not just be great as a scoring champion, but lead his team to playoff success. And if you want to argue now that you want out of there because you care that much about a title, then why didn't you care enough in the way you handled yourself when you had opportunities with other superstars on this team to be great and you forgot how to basketball? Everything you just said is a thousand percent true. And one of the reports today that I thought was funny was Woj saying that uh, at this point, part of the reason teams are more interested is because they have some assurances that after the two years is done on his deal, he will resign with whatever team he's been sent to, to which I would say, where the hell are you getting that assurance from? I mean, if a four-year contract isn't even assurance one year in, <laughs> why is a, oh, well, don't worry, when this one's done, I'll honor the next thing and sign with you guys there. Like, I don't even understand the mindset around anybody taking somebody at their word for what they're going to do in the future when they're this close to a massive deal and they're saying they want out. It's quickies well, the- on Spain and Fitz. Go ahead. Yeah, I just was going to say the report from McManus on, 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 you know, this is a guy who everybody just kind of knows who runs the team. Uh, that's just not good enough for me, especially if you're going to take a risk on someone like that. And then their expectations, expectations showing up is they're going to treat your franchise the same way. They're not necessarily going to honor a contract that they sign. And you don't even know if they're going to give their all 100% of the time to win. That's a terrible combination of qualities. You're a thousand percent right. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's stick in the NBA for a second and uh, talk about something else that we haven't hit on too much that I think is going to be a huge story in this season, and that's load management. And I keep looking back at at what the Lakers did in the bubble, Sarah, and and part of the key there is that they, you know, everybody was going to react to rest differently. There was a long gap before uh, NBA basketball was played again in the bubble. We all know that. But once the Lakers got in the bubble, they had a ton of juice in their tank, as I always like to use the video game turbo button analogy. Like, their turbo was all the way back to the top because they got some rest. I think if anything, you look around and say, okay, when the seasons are that backed up for the teams that were very successful, they're coming right in on top of each other. Is there going to be more mindset than ever on load management coming into this year if you're really chasing a title that you won't be winning for several months down the road? This is a tough one, Fitz, because I do think we all, for the most part, see the Lakers as being a tier above the rest of the teams. We need to get a good look at the Nets to exactly know how that's going to work. But for the most part, we all agree the Lakers were the top of the league, the cream of the crop, and they only got better in the offseason. They had this massive rest between uh, the end of the bubble and the beginning. We're not really sure how that's going to affect players going into this shortened offseason and starting you know, in a week here. But... There is that balance of how much time do I have off to rest versus how much time do I have to gel with the players that are currently on my team to get a read on other teams and how to best play against them. I don't think we want to underestimate and give too much credit, as great as the Lakers and LeBron is, to to the idea that they can just show up in the postseason and be great. There are things to be learned throughout the regular season, especially matchup-wise. 
They always talk about how the NBA doesn't want that sort of a thing. They don't want uh, mm-hmm. load management because it's bad for the game of the regular season. I'm not sure anything that happens in the men- in the regular season really matters versus making sure that you've got your best players on hand in the playoffs. That seems to be... Uh, ask, the, uh, ask the Clippers about that, though. Oh, uh, well, that that is a fair point. One more real quick one here. Capitals, we're going to get you updated. Henrik Lundqvist out for the upcoming season with a heart condition. So he was a one-year signing. Hope that he'd be able to come in and contribute to whenever the NHL season starts. He's now out for the year, sir. Yeah, I think the question we, of course, have to ask is, did he get COVID at any point, and is this related? This is not necessarily the case, but there are a lot of questions to be asked now as he will be out for the year, and what does this mean for the rest of his career if there is one? Those are the quickies. We'll keep you updated on the game. But coming up, an inside look at the life of a legendary college hoops coach. That's next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Well, Coach Thompson is such a giant figure, and I mean that metaphorically and physically, um, in, in basketball, in black America, and in American history in general. So for me to be entrusted with telling his life story, which is so consequential, so unique, so impactful, it was, uh, I felt like I had been asked to write a historical document. And I think that that's a lot of what this is. It's also rather rollicking yarn and painful and funny and triumphant and, and there's tragedy in there. So it has it all. It's, it's, uh, it was a tremendous experience. And I'm very grateful to have been asked to write this book with Coach Thompson. Jesse, I know we have a lot of the book we'll get into specifically, but I got to ask, with that being said and that mindset, is it different? Do you feel a little pressure when you walk in and you, you have so much respect for somebody and you understand what's at stake when you're writing their story? The pressure came at the beginning because Coach Thompson would say all the time, man, we got to get this right. We have <laughs> to get this right. He would literally say that because it was that important to him to be understood. He wanted people to know why he did the things that he did. You know, he wanted people to know, OK, these were my influences. So for all the people who were calling him paranoid and racist and too controlling and too demanding, well, the book lays it out. He got that from Red Arback. Nobody has a problem with Red Arback. He got that from Dean Smith. Everybody loves Dean Smith. But, you know, when all of those qualities and coaching came in the John Thompson package, six foot ten, loud, dark skinned, very black, you know, then people had a problem with it. So. The pressure came at the beginning, but once we got rolling and once Coach said, all right, you're doing a good job, keep going, I like it, then it just it all fell into place after that. I Came as a Shadow is the name of the book, Jesse Washington writing with John Thompson. And uh, in the interesting uh, back and forth that's on .com right now about the writing of this book, one of the things you mentioned was um, that sometimes he would push back on things that you wanted to include, that he was a pretty private person. Is there something in the book that at first he didn't want that you kind of were able to convince him to open up about? Yes. His son being fired at Georgetown. Um, that was a tremendously painful experience for Coach Thompson because he loves Georgetown, but he loves nothing more than his children. And so he felt it was very unfair, but he was reluctant to dive into it. And at the time, he didn't say anything about it publicly because, you know, he wants his son to be able to live his own life. He's got to go on with his life. And for you know, Coach was very acutely aware of the power and the resonance of his voice. So it took a while for him to be comfortable with talking about it. But once he did, whew, he let loose. <laughs> you know, he let loose. Um, and he, and it, you know, I don't want to give it all away, but at one point he said, if it sounds like I'm being biased, if it sounds like I'm being biased and angry, that's because I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know. 
All right, so that Jim, was one of the things that he was initially reluctant to talk about, but he, he, he definitely said his piece in the book. Jesse, one of the things that I thought was surprising to me is uh, that the consideration that he was the first black coach to win an NCAA championship was not something that he necessarily loved being attached to him. Talk about it a little bit. Yeah, that was very significant, and it's characteristic of how coach thought. Bravo, hooray, it's 1984. You're the first black coach to win, win a championship in college. He said, I resent the implication that all the other black coaches who came before me didn't have the ability to do that. He said, that's what you're implying, that I was the first one who was able to do it. He said, there were tons. that's an insult to all the great ones who came before me. You know, John McLendon, Cal Irvin, Big House Gang, all these big, great black coaches who came before me were, had plenty of ability. They weren't given the opportunity to win a championship. He said Barack Obama wasn't the first black man with the ability to be president, was he? So, you know, that really shows how Coach Thompson always thought about things on several levels. He always thought around the corner and he analyzed things in a completely unique way, which was just a, a major part of his genius. You're listening to Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz with you here on ESPN Radio uh, and joining us now on the Shell Penzo Performance Line, Jesse Washington, co-author of the new John Thompson book, I Came as a Shadow, uh, wrote alongside Coach Thompson. Uh, one of the things I loved hearing about was his influence, um, the influence had on him by strong women and the fact that he hired women full-time on his staff. We don't really hear that as much about Coach Thompson. His influence on players that came up under him is, is, the, is the biggest focus. Tell me more about the connection uh, with the women in his life. He was a champion for the opportunities of women, you know, and when he hired uh, Mary Fenlon as his academic advisor in 1972 at Georgetown, she was the first full-time female employee on a men's basketball, on a men's program, athletic program of any kind. And then later, Lori Michael became his full-time head athletic trainer in the early 80s. So these were two women who were very key members of his staff. And Mary Fenlon eventually became number two in charge. But, you know, it all traces back to his mother, who had an extremely strong influence on him. He credits his mother and father with having more uh, to do than anyone else with everything that he accomplished. He also had two teachers who were tremendous influence on him and his coaching. One was Semetta Wallace Jackson, his sixth grade teacher, who ascertained at that time, John Thompson was considered by his previous teachers to be, and excuse me for using this word, but this is why they called it at the time, retarded. He had a reading disability and could not read in the fifth grade, so they expelled him from his previous school. Semetta mm -hmm. Wallace Jackson figured out what his problem was and how to help him. And he said that she protected his feelings. So this goes to Coach Thompson's image as being overprotective and paranoid and shielding his players from everything and not letting the media talk to his players. He says that all traces back to Samantha Wallace-Jackson. I had a problem and she protected me. She had as much influence on my coaching as some of the greatest minds in basketball. And the other person who really had a huge influence on him was Dr. Anita Hughes, who led his master's degree program. And yes, Coach John Thompson had a master's degree in counseling and guidance from the University of the District of Columbia. And she taught him how to relate to young people on an emotional level. You know, there's the X's and O's of teaching, just like there's the X's and O's of coaching. And then there's how you get someone to follow out and carry through on those X's and O's. That's what he learned from these women, and that's why he really provided opportunities to them throughout his career. 
We're talking to Jesse Washington on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So one of the other things that happens when you write a book is you find out the real behind stories and legends. So The Undefeated put out a little excerpt today uh, about a story that has really gotten legs over the years uh, about uh, Coach Thompson hanging out, uh, or I should say having a confrontation with the drug kingpin at the time. Uh, but the legend Big doesn't difference, seem, Fitz. Yeah, that's a fair <laughs> point. Uh, I remember, I grew up around UNLV as a kid. Like, they were hanging out. There's a big that's difference right, there. That's right. Uh, no, but, but this is one one of those things that it seems like the the legend may have been far different uh, than the story. What'd you find out there? Yeah, it really was. It's amazing. I grew up with that legend too. Coach Thompson confronted the notorious drug kingpin, Rafael Edmund, pointed his finger in his face, yelled and screamed at him. You better stay away from my kids or else, et cetera, et cetera. You blankety blank, you know, and, and coach could blankety blank you to death. Let's not get that twisted, you know, but the reality was much different, you know, and, and I don't want to give too much away because it's important for Coach Thompson to get to say it in his own words. But what people didn't take into consideration is that Rafael Edmonds might have respected Coach Thompson. You know, he might have said, wow, look at everything that he's done for people from my community. Rafael Edmonds was a kingpin, but he was 25 years old and a basketball junkie. This is a guy who played pickup basketball all day, every day throughout D.C., every day in the summer. So it was a meeting more than a confrontation between two black, two black men from Washington who loved basketball and who respected each other. Not that Coach Thompson condoned selling drugs, but he also understood that some people take that path due to a lack of opportunities in other directions. So it was much different than the stereotype of the meeting, which was based on his mischaracterization as a bully and intimidating and those type of things. It's revelatory. You can read the excerpt at theundefeated.com or you can read the whole thing which is a tremendous story that some people are telling me belongs in the Smithsonian <laughs> in the book. That's a nice pitch. That is a nice pitch. Uh, I'm giving you one you last minute. That? We're running out of time here. So is there any other last thing you want to throw out there to try to get people uh, to go ahead and pick up I Came as a Shadow, the new uh, book between you, Jesse Washington, and the late John Thompson? Yeah, Coach Thompson said from the very beginning to the end, this is not a book about basketball. It has a lot of basketball in it, but, I, you know, for coaches, for teachers, for parents, for students, for athletes. And the message to everybody was athletics is great. It can provide you with a lot of opportunities, but really you need to make a mark on the world with your mind. Mm -hmm. You need to succeed with intellectual abilities. And he would say, quote, intelligence places you in a better position for a longer period of time. So that's what really what he wanted people to know. And I think that there's something in there for a lot of people to learn from. I learned a lot from him. And I hope that he is able to continue to fulfill his mission as a teacher through this book, even after his death. Well said, Jesse. Congrats on the book, and thanks for coming on. Really appreciate you guys. And if Coach Thompson was here, he would look down at you guys and say, I'm proud of y'all. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Well, I was going to start a beef and pick a bone and whatever I said before the break with Fitz in this segment, but now I feel sorry for him. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, more so than usual even. TSPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, Thursday Night Football, Fitz was exceedingly confident, in fact mocked the idea that we may be able to use any sound from earlier in the show about his confidence that his Raiders would beat the Chargers, and uh, Derek Carr has just left with a groin injury, what looks like a sure groin pull. We don't have that confirmed, but that's certainly... The visual, which leaves, I believe, Mariota and Nathan Peterman. Fitz, what's going on? Why does it this means, happen to good people? 
It means that the Raiders are going to the playoffs. See, the last time that Carr was injured was the year they went to the playoffs, 12-4, and four, and he didn't play in the playoff game. So what we just learned is that history is going to repeat itself. The Raiders are going to go to the playoffs. I'm trying to keep it positive here, Sarah. That's all I can do. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that would be a very Raiders and Fitz-like thing for you to advance but then not have the quarterback that you would want to actually play. Oh, man, this is brutal. Uh, how do you feel about Mariota? We just heard from uh, – Gruden this week that Mariota's a great quarterback, so he's liking what he sees in practice. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a cute concept, but he's been a healthy scratch several times this year. They gave him $7.5 million Oof. in a deal that was essentially structured in a way that should he become the starter, he would be an affordable starter for them next year and uh, with a ton of incentives on it. So they brought him in to really push Carr. Problem is, A, he wasn't healthy, as healthy as they wanted him to be when he walked in the room. And B, he's just not particularly great. So this is a worst-case scenario for the Raiders, obviously. You never want to lose your quarterback in a divisional game. And uh, let's see what the extent of it is for Derek Carr. But uh, as I've seen the best and worst of Marcus Mariota having spent so much time around the Titans. And I did believe for a long time that Mariota could be a starter in this league and a, a reasonable starter in this league. I don't believe he's you know going to be epic, but I think he can be a reasonable starter. The problem for him has always been health, and he just has not been able to get healthy for the last several years. And now, as a result, he finds himself in a backup situation. And frankly, he was, from every writer and person I talked to that watched training camp, what little training camp there was, he was dreadful. He was abysmal and really inaccurate with the ball. So I don't have high hopes, and I think it'll be interesting to see how they play this moving forward and what it means to their game plan. They're down 7-3 to three to the Chargers. And, you know, usually that's not a big concern early on to me, Sarah, but the fact is this offense has to score more than 35 mm-hmm. points to win tonight in my mind, and I don't know that you can do that with your backup quarterback. Some interesting side stories in this one. One, of course, obviously, that you, this would have been a San Diego-Oakland game, and <laughs> right. Amy Trask posted uh, a photo of a game ball that she was given from an old Raiders game against San Diego. Now neither of those teams exist. Now we have an L.A. versus Vegas. And then also now with Mariota, we've got two of the best Oregon QBs in recent years, maybe ever, uh, dueling it out. So that's an interesting uh, side story for Oregon fans or anybody who uh, you know has been really missing the sight of Marcus Mariota. And quickly, uh, I will say Vic Tafer for The Athletic Covers the Raiders has already tweeted out that the Raiders are saying Carr is questionable to return with a groin injury. So we've gotten that uh, from him. That is really unfortunate. Uh, I don't even know what the timeline on a groin injury is, but that feels like a place as somebody who injured my groin both in college track and in California state kickball. <laughs> it takes a while. Uh, based solely on my experience with the groin, which you're going to clip off and use at an unfortunate time. But <laughs> well, I guess it depends uh, on how severe the strain is. Um, and for it, anyone it, that it, didn't see the play, he wasn't hit. He was running. Mm-hmm. Nobody was after him. He just he came up. As, as he was running, you saw him reach for his groin. You saw the discomfort. I think it was pretty obvious right away what they were dealing with. So yeah. uh, hopefully it's not something that keeps him out you know, for weeks. But at this it point... Says, on this website that I just pulled up and Googled, and I have zero claims to how legitimate it is, uh, grade one would be two to three weeks, grade two, two to three months, grade three, four months or more. So that's a huge leap from two to three weeks to two to three months. You have to hope that this is uh, something where just a little bit of uh, fibers that are stretched, uh, not full-on muscle tears. 
Yeah, well, and and this is where it becomes at least advantageous if the Raiders find some way to win this game, which would be very difficult with Mariota in at quarterback. If they find a way to win this game, there is at least the benefit of they have extra time before the Miami game because they uh, they this is obviously Thursday. Uh, they get a couple extra days rest. So, you know, I, I think it'd still be pushing it, but uh, we'll just see where, how it plays out. At shoes underscore of underscore red, uh, just hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation, said, are we sure this is not just an elaborate ploy to go to the bathroom again? It's possible. He did generally reach for that area, and as we know in the NFL lately, a lot of bathroom trips interrupting quarterbacks' efforts. Uh, I don't think that that's the case, though. This definitely looked like an injury. Uh, yeah, it's far more asked, like he had to go pee-pee than he had to go to. Right, which is uh, still could be an elaborate ploy to use the bathroom. Yep. Uh, either way, you don't want to... Wearing white pants, if I remember correctly, or maybe silver. I don't think he wants to pee Silver himself. pants. I, th- I still think yeah. you'd see the pee, though. You would absolutely see the pee. So I think that would you know, that would be a reason to leave, although I think it was a groin injury. Uh, we asked you earlier, uh, Christmas gifts you'd want to get for your team. I think Fitz's answer has changed in the last five to ten minutes. You probably want to get uh, Car a new groin. Yeah. Or yeah, at least yeah. I'd like to maybe the same groin, groin, but healthy. <laughs> I, don't he, I don't know if he wants a new groin. He might have been happy with what he was working with. Uh, but you guys gave us some good answers to this. Uh, I, I think my favorite is just the, the guy who, who answered the question as, as best it could be. At the Bush 84 said a Bills Super Bowl. That's a very good gift. Like a lot of people were asking for specifics. You just went for the whole thing. I like that. Um, well, and you news. know what? It can be both. Like that's the thing you want to get get right now is a Bills Super Bowl. And based on their past, that's the thing you want to give back is yeah, any of yeah, the Bills Super Bowls. Yeah, every time that they, they failed. Uh, some more news from Spain and Fitz Nation. At Dream Team Apple One hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, wants Lewis Riddick as the new Houston Texans general manager and also wants to give back David Johnson if he can be mm. considered a gift because it was the worst trade of all time. Both great answers. Our boy Lewis Riddick, who I love, great guy, brilliant football mind, is in the running for a couple spots. And I don't want to lose him here at ESPN. And I actually really like the booth that we've got for Monday Night Football. But I would love for him to get those opportunities. Yeah, I mean, Lewis is one of those people that you spend 10 minutes talking football with Lewis. You come away not only smarter, but you come away fired up. Certain people have an energy about them that you just you can't you can't even put a, a, a price tag on it. You can't put a number on it. There's a thing about Lewis Riddick that just charges a whole room to make them want to be better and and bigger and uh, he absolutely would be a benefit to any locker room that he'd ever walk into any organization he'd walk into he's got so much of that it factor smells great too (laughs) uh at justin rubin wants a healthy drew breeze for a gift and he wants to return costly Taysom turnovers uh which i suggested would be a problem in the last game and they certainly were uh at mj munson wants a gift of health for the warriors and niners that's a great point. That area has had some success lately, but also dealing with a ton of injuries. Uh, at the Brad King just said, Sarah, I'm a Knicks and Bengals fan. Stop attacking us with this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you might want to just give up the whole team. As, uh, can you can you return everything for the last few decades? Uh, and poor Joe Burrow. I know you want a healthy Joe Burrow if you're a Cincy fan. Uh, Anthony Birdman V wants to gift the Giants Saquon Barkley his hamstring back. Boy, does that feel like a whole different season, doesn't it? Yeah, and how different would this giant season been for a team that's come together and played far better than we mm-hmm. expected, given those limitations? Wow. Yeah, that was the game against the Bears where they lost a number of their best players, including Saquon. Speaking of, I didn't have time to take you and Randy to task for acting like the Bears are out of it and your Raven or your your Raiders are at a great position. The Bears have one fewer win somehow, which is wild. Uh, tomorrow morning, eight thirty Eastern. AJ Brown, Titans wide receiver, joins KJ and Z. See you later.
Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.